Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, as with our hearts open, our desire is to be near you today. We want to be close to you. We want to know you better. And Father, I pray that you, by your grace and through the work of your Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds as we reach and preed, uh, preach, read and preach and receive your word today. Bless your word as it goes out. And Father, it is my prayer that you would, you would help us to approach your word in a way that lets it speak for itself. Help us to set aside our traditions and our preconceived notions and the influences of our culture and whatever our minds might subconsciously bring to the table as we uh, seek to submit our minds and our hearts and our lives to the truth and authority of your holy word. And Father, help us to not only be hearers today, but be doers of the word as well. And finally, we ask this morning that you would continue to work in us by the power of your word and in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to change us evermore in the image of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app on your mobile device, please turn with me to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter number 18. If you are not familiar with uh, the, the Bible, the book of Matthew is actually the first book of the New Testament. It's after the book of Malachi, and it's before the book of Mark. So um, Matthew chapter 18, we will begin reading in verse 23. And the word of the Lord reads, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the, that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found, out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported it to their master all that had taken place. Then their master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And now, and should you not, should, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your hearts. This is the word of the Lord. Um, John Wesley, while he was serving as a missionary to America, he had an encounter with General Oglethorpe, 
a man who had been known for his great pride and Wesley uh, pled that he would forgive a man who was given a severe penalty for a minor infraction. And in particular, a particularly prideful moment, Oglethorpe said, I never forgive. And Wesley replied, I hope, sir, you never sin. I want to welcome you back to part three of our series um, titled Grace, Greater Than We Can Imagine. And in this series, we've been looking at and talking about probably one of the most important doctrines um, that in all of Christianity, the doctrine of grace. Uh, because the truth is our understanding of our faith is directly related to our understanding of the doctrine of grace. And as we talked about from the very beginning, grace is a really big concept with lots and lots of different viewpoints and opinions. Um, well, everybody has an opinion about grace. If I say the word grace, we all instantaneously, individually have a picture in our mind of what we think it looks like and what it is. But what we've come to understand is that if we're truly going to understand grace, then we have to root our understanding and build it out of the word of God. We need our understanding of grace, you know, from the context of scripture and not from the context of anybody's traditions or our preconceived ideas or what our culture tells us, which is itself influenced by a notion that there is no such thing as objective standard truth. Uh, our understanding of grace needs to be built on what God says it is because God is in fact the one who gives grace. And so in week one, we discovered in order to understand grace, we must keep in mind who God is as the giver of grace and then who we are as the recipients of his grace. And what we established was the fact that grace ultimately is an undeserved gift of God. God gives us undeserved gifts. It is his grace. That's what grace is. It's the undeserved gifts that he gives us. And, and, and the reason why they're undeserved gifts is because God is sovereign and righteous and just, and he owes us nothing. God owes us nothing but his immediate judgment and wrath upon our lives. God owes us nothing because we are finite, unrighteous beings who have been in open rebellion to God from the very beginning. And the only thing that God owes us, again, is his righteous justice and the wrath for our sin. That's what God owes us. But the word of God says, the Lord, as we sang this morning, the Lord is patient toward us, holding back his wrath so we may come to repentance. He is kind to lead us to repentance 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is kind to us and he is patient with us. And then, okay, not only is he patient with us, but then he lavishes upon us gracious gifts. He gives gifts to all people, all of mankind. He gives, he gives what gifts that, that are called as common grace. Common grace is the gifts that he gives to all people, right? He gives everyone the gift of life. As we talked about before, every breath that you breathe is a gift from God, a good night's sleep, the satisfaction of a good meal, the, the feeling, uh, the, the, the satisfaction we, we get when we drink water on a warm day. That's a gift from God. Our relationships, our families, our ability to love, all those things are gifts from God. God pours out his goodness in all mankind through his common grace. Okay? And, and if that's not enough, because it certainly would be, God also then gives us more than we deserve um, beyond his common grace. He gives, he gives special grace to those who will actually repent and believe the gospel. He gives grace, special 
to those who will trust in Christ, God gives the gift of eternal life. That's his special grace. The special grace, you know, also came at a huge cost to God. It cost God dearly to give us that grace. Jesus, the innocent son of God, was tortured and hung on a cross and endured the wrath of the father himself, the wrath that we ourselves deserve. He did that for us as a form of his special grace. And then last week we talked about if that's not enough, if, if God's common grace weren't enough and this special gift of salvation were not enough, God then also lavishes us more grace by giving us the ability to confidently come before him in our time of need. We have direct access to God any time we need. The author of Hebrews tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. God gives the gift of life. He gives us, he pays the penalty of our sin so we can have a relationship with him. And then he turns and says, by the way, anytime you need something, you can come to me and approach confidently my throne of grace in your time of need. That right there is the grace of God. The undeserved, unmerited, unearned, over-the-top grace of God. And that is what we have come to understand grace to be. And with that, I want to continue to talk about grace this morning, but from a different angle. And I want to be right up front with you. Today's message is probably going to be the hardest one in all this series to hear. Uh, Because today's message probably has the most to do with our lives and how we live. Um, And and, and we're probably going to come face to face that, that all of us have some serious growing to do and so, so once again, I'm going to appeal to you. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to appeal to you to just take a deep breath. Okay, relax. And, and to clear your mind and your head. And I want you to open your heart to the word of God and what it says. And what I want you to do is this. I want you to learn uh, something with me real quick, actually. Uh, it's something that I think that will help us to get through this message today. In fact, it will put us in the right frame of mind. And uh, what I want you to learn is, is an expression that I learned from a pastor named Vody Bauckham. Now, Vody Bauckham is the pastor of preaching at Grace Family Baptist Church in Houston, Texas, and he is someone I follow regularly. I've listened to lots of his, uh, his uh, sermons. He, uh, he is insp- he's an inspiring preacher. He's very passionate about preaching the Word of God, and he preaches without compromise, and he continually um, is just somebody that, that, that lifts me up and inspires me, and he actually is somebody Keith and I both listened to in person when we were in Atlanta, Georgia, and Vody, one of, the, one of his most famous expressions that he uses when his messages get tough, right? And when they get hard hitting, he says, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Okay? That's what he says. If you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. If you can't say amen to the point that convicts you, then you should say ouch because because it pierces your heart. And so I want to encourage you today as we tackle this message today, as we talk about this perspective of grace, if you can't say amen, then at least in your own way, you can say ouch because that's the Holy Spirit convicting your heart. If that's fair enough, then uh, we'll go ahead and get started. So the point of this series, uh, as we've talked about so far, um, is God's grace. Is, is, is Point number one, the very first thing that we start off with is that God gives us grace to save. And then we talked about that God gives us the grace to live in this life. But today we're going to talk about the grace that we need to give away. Uh, and I want you to understand, this message is for all of us, including me. 
Uh, we all need to hear this. We all need to apply it. This is a universal message. And I want you to understand right up front that the point of this message is not a suggestion. The point of this message is not a recommendation. The point of this message is a clear and direct command from God himself. If you're a Christian, what we're going to talk about today is something that God expects out of you. It is not optional. Understand, it is not optional. The point of today's message, and I'm just going to be right up front, lay my cards on the table. The point of today's message is you and I need to have grace for other people. And you and I need to forgive other people. And that's the bottom line point. We need to give grace and we need to forgive. And it's not just me saying it, all right? It's the word of God saying it. Ephesians 4, chapter 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's very clear. We are to forgive other people. That's the expression. But just in case you missed it, let's look at Colossians 3, chapter, I mean, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Notice the word must. Forgiveness is not something that God suggests that we do. Forgiveness is something that God says we must do. On this particular topic, William McDonald notes um, that, that we must forgive like Christ forgave. And he says, how did uh, he forgive? He forgave without cause, so then must we. He gave freely, so then should we. He continued to say, both as to the manner and to the extent of how he forgave, we should also follow our blessed Lord in this wonderful attitude. Pastor John MacArthur adds this. He says, because Christ as the model of forgiveness has forgiven all of our sins totally, believers must be willing to forgive others. Forgiving is not a suggestion. It's something that we must do. And it's something we need to make a habit of of doing on a regular basis. And, and some of you might say, well, well, that's just Paul talking, all right? I don't know if I like Paul so much, but I like the words Jesus. I like, I'm one of them red-letter Christians. All I believe is what Jesus says. Well, let's see what Jesus said. Jesus said, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, repent, you must forgive him. Jesus said, you must forgive. He didn't say that, that, that you should forgive. He said, you must forgive. And not only did he say you must forgive, but he says, you must forgive repeatedly if necessary. Now, believe me, I get it. <laughs> if forgiving somebody one time wasn't hard enough, and maybe twice, right? But if someone wrongs you multiple times, Jesus said, you need to forgive them multiple times. How many times? Well, really, as many times as it takes can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. Because I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but if somebody, I might be okay to forgive once, twice, right? But if somebody hurts me multiple times, if somebody, you know, does me wrong multiple times, if they inflict pain on me multiple times, I might actually end up doing something I need forgiveness for, you know? But here it is in its painful glory. 
Jesus says, if someone sins against you seven times in a day, then you need to forgive seven times. Or in other words, you just need to make a habit of giving grace. That you need to continually forgive people. Now, if you're like me, and I know you probably are, then you're looking for a way out of this, right? You might argue, well, hey, Jesus said, if I sin against my brother, all right? If I sin against my brother, then I need to forgive. That means somebody like it's my family, somebody close to me, maybe even maybe a fellow Christian. But I didn't say that I got to forgive everybody, right? In fact, even Jesus said here, he says, he says if, you, if they repent, then forgive, right? They have to repent first, right? I mean, that means they have to change their ways and ask, you know, ask for forgiveness. Isn't that, isn't that what repentance means? I mean, isn't that the condition of me? And I don't have to forgive them until they do that, right? Well, what do we do with this next verse? It says, uh, and whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses see here jesus didn't say anything about brothers or repenting he just said forgive if you have anything against anyone forgive if you have anything regardless of what it is against anyone regardless of who they are forgive and this is not a suggestion okay in fact christ even makes it part of how we pray he says Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then in the very same text, the very next line, he says, and if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. That one hurts. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive your, their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said of this text, unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant when you repeat the Lord's Prayer. I want to repeat that just so we can hear that and kind of let it sink in. I want... I want, I want you to hear this. Unless you have forgiven others, you read your own death warrant unless you repeat the Lord's prayer. As I said, if you can't say amen, you gotta say ouch. Now, if you're like me, you're like, well, wait a minute. Um, does that mean I have to forgive other people to be saved? I mean, it, I mean what's Jesus saying here? I mean, I thought that you talk, told me in like week one that we were saved by grace through faith and it's the gift of God and it's not by my works. Isn't that what the Bible says? I'm saved by grace. But if I have to forgive to be forgiven, doesn't that mean that, that my salvation is something I have to do and I'm working for it? Isn't that right? I mean, this seems really out of step with the gospel to me. Right? Maybe Jesus doesn't mean this literally. Maybe this is just a cultural thing for back then. Maybe you know, you're just taking the text out of context, Sherman. All right? Well, let's actually look at the same book. And Jesus goes ahead and he actually takes more time to elaborate on this issue. And he explains it in even more detail in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Peter interrupts Jesus in the middle of a conversation. And then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? 
as many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven, which means a lot, not just literally 490 times, okay? And then he goes on to say, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one who was brought to him, who owed him 10,000 talents. And I'm telling you right now, this is the equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars, okay? This guy is in trouble. He has got more debt than he can possibly pay in 10 lifetimes, And it says, verse 25, since he could not repay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that they had in payment be made. You see, back then there was no bankruptcy. There was no financial protections. If you got into debt, they would sell you into slavery, you and your family. And guess what? You didn't all oftentimes get sold to the same place, which means you quite possibly have lost everything, including your family. This was a horrible place to be in this kind of debt. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me. And the funniest line in probably the entire Bible, I will repay everything. I mean, the king knows that's not going to happen. He knows it's not going to happen. But this is all he has is to make empty promises because he knows what's going to happen to his life. But then a miracle. Out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Think about this, all right? He didn't just forgive him a $100 loan, okay? He didn't forgive his like $100,000 student loans. We, some of those, you guys know what those are like, right? He forgave, he forgave the debt that's the equivalent of several hundred million dollars. I heard one pastor say it's probably close to a billion dollars. We're talking about serious money here. The kind of money that could bankrupt major corporations if they lost that kind of money. But the king, simply because he felt sorry for the servant, he forgave the debt, wiped it clean. The man has his life back, his family back. That is an act of grace. But then 28, verse 28. But when the servant came and went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, which is kind of like 100 bucks. Maybe more, just depending on how you exchange the silver. But seizing him... He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Now, understand the picture here. This is, okay, guy just gets forgiven. He should be like the happiest dude in the world. He walks up, and then he is so angry about this debt, he grabs this guy by the throat, and he starts choking him. And he says, pay me what you owe me. And his fellow servants, it says, and so his fellow servant fell down. And pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll repay you. The exact same words that he used. This guy falls on his knees and he begs for an opportunity to pay the debt. But notice what happens. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. He drug him off to debtor's prison. Now think about this. Again, he was shown this incredible mercy. He wasn't sold into slavery. And he turns right around and he hauls his fellow servant off for a few hundred bucks. This is scandalous. Right? When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Okay, and, and then here's the question that we have to face before God. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? 
to the king and to the other servants, there should have been a natural connection here. There should have been a natural connection to being forgiven and then turning around and forgiving, especially in the proportion of the debts. There is, an, there is an expectation that this servant would have been so moved by joy and gratitude of having his debt paid that he would naturally want to do the same thing for someone else, but it didn't happen. And his anger and his anger, the master delivered him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt, which means he was there forever because, uh, because um, there's no way that he would ever be able to repay that. Right? And then Jesus gives us the words that really sting. So also my heavenly father will do to you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart which then kind of like takes the stakes and raises them, okay? Because Jesus then makes it clear, it says that you can't just comply and just say, I forgive you, I forgive you, okay? Truly giving, forgiving from your heart is the issue. Jesus says, when we forgive, we have to forgive in our hearts. I need to completely let it go. I need to forgive and not hold a grudge. It needs to be real, authentic forgiveness. And notice what Jesus says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your hearts. What will he do? He will do like the king did. The king in his anger delivered him to the jailer until he should pay the debts. Now this, this word jailer in the Greek, this word right here, which is pronounced busainistes. Uh, I think I got that right. This word right here, what it actually is, it means more than a jailer. It actually means a tormentor. It means a, a torturer. And so this text literally means that he handed the servant over to be tormented and tortured until he could pay the debt. How long is that going to be? Forever, because guess what? He can't pay the debt, which means he's going to spend the rest of his life in pain and torment being tortured for his unwillingness to forgive. This is a picture of hell. And you might think, well, that's extreme, but that's exactly how it is. The servant was forgiven this gigantic debt, and he had the audacity to turn and withhold grace from someone else whose debt was minuscule by comparison. This is, this is the equivalent of slapping the king in the face. The king could not abide by that. And it's the same with God. And Jesus says, if we do not forgive our brothers from our heart, God will do the same thing to you and me because, we, because of the way that he's forgiven us. Unforgiveness. Understand, unforgiveness and withholding grace is a huge deal to God. It's like slapping him in the face. God forgives us this massive debt. Right? He forgives me my massive debt and I have the audacity to pretend that my standards are higher than his and so I'm going to refuse to give grace to someone else whose sin against me is tiny in comparison. It's preposterous. It's scandalous. Unforgiveness is a big deal and it's a deadly sin. I mean, the point, you know, I mean, I mean we like to point out scriptures and say idolaters and sexually immoral people will not inherit the kingdom of, of heaven. In fact, many people in our modern context have memorized the verse, the verses, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, which says, uh, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But right here in this text, Jesus says, if you won't forgive, then God, like the king, will hand you over to the tormentors, which is a picture of hell. 
Now, before you get upset with me and say, Sherman, you're just wrong. You're taking that out of context. Understand, I'm just, I'm just reading the text. Jesus said, read it with me, okay? So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's not my words, okay? Those are words of Jesus himself. Remember Matthew chapter 6, 14, he said, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your trespasses, their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. These are the words of Jesus. And it doesn't matter what translation you use, it's still the same. Unforgiveness is a huge deal. Forgiving others is not optional. Grace is mandatory. Now, the natural question that we're going to ask, you know, at this point is, then how do you reconcile that, Sherman? How do you reconcile God's insistence with us giving grace to others with the fact that we're supposed to be saved by grace? How can you say that it's not by our works? Because I'm telling you right now from where I stand, forgiving other people seems like works to me. It seems like, like something that I have to do. But how do we reconcile the two ideas? Being saved by grace and God's command for us to forgive other people that doesn't seem to fit together. But the truth is that these actually do go together. If we will actually see things from God's perspective, who is the author of grace. You see, it really comes down to understanding grace and what it means to be saved and what happens to us when we are saved. In fact, turn with me to, to, to the book of uh, Luke, chapter number 6. Luke chapter 6 is Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus delivers. And it's, it's really kind of like the parallel thoughts that run with Matthew chapter 5 and 6. Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43, we read, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruits. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. This text right here is really the key to us understanding of being saved by grace. And also the God's expectation for us to forgive others. You see, forgiving others is not what we do to get saved. Hear me, please. Forgiving others is not what we do to be saved. But instead, it is the fruit out of being saved. We don't forgive others so we can get saved. Forgiving others is the fruit of being saved. Our forgiveness of others is the fruit of our salvation, not a condition of of our salvation. And what this means is that if we truly understand the gospel, if we truly understand the price that was paid to clear our debts and set us free, if we truly understand that God, by his grace, rescued us from hell, and he, he did so by crushing his own son, and if we truly understand that, and if by faith we receive that and have received Christ, then we are born again. We are made new the old has gone and the new has come. We become altogether different. And when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, giving you guidance and leading you. If that happens to you, something in your life has to change. Something in your life begins to change. The fruits of our lives begins to be different than it was before. 
You see, before Christ, our lives looked a certain way. We bore a certain kind of fruits. We were the bad tree bearing bad fruits. But once we gave our lives to Christ, we began to bear different kinds of fruit. We became the good tree beginning to bear good fruits. Before I became a Christian, I was a certain kind of a man who lived a certain kind of a life. My life was filled full of fruit of that old nature. I was the most selfish person I know. I was mean, bitter, spiteful, angry, and terribly impatient, among many other things. But once Christ came into my life again, I began to walk in him. The fruit of my life began to change. Suddenly I began to care about other people when I didn't before. I began to let go of my bitterness. I began to become more patient and understanding with other people. And it's not like I had to work for those things. It's that God began to work in my life and I began to become more patient in understanding. It was the fruits, the results. You don't go to an orchard and hear trees grunting to produce fruit. It happens because of the tree's nature. Understand our nature changes. Understand bearing fruit is a natural outworking of the nature of the tree. That's why Jesus says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. What's this, what does this mean? What this simply means for us is if you're saved, if you truly trust Christ, your life will begin to naturally reflect that. Something in you changes and the result of that fruit of your life will change. Which is why if you're truly forgiven, you will then become more forgiving. Unforgiveness and unforgiving others is the natural fruit of us, I mean, us forgiving other people, our forgiving other people is a natural fruit of us receiving the gift of God's forgiveness. That's why um, the king was so angry in this parable. He expected the, the, the servant to be forgiving because of the na- natural byproduct of someone who actually understands the debt that it costs for them to be forgiven. In fact, John Piper says it this way. He says, if the forgiveness we received at the cost of the blood of Christ is so ineffective in our hearts that we are bent on holding unforgiving grudges and bitterness against someone. And we, we are not the good tree. He even goes to say, we're not saved. We do not, we do not cherish the forgiveness and trust the forgiveness that we've been given. We don't embrace the treasure of the forgiveness. We're hypocrites. We're just mouthing. We've never felt the piercing joy and the wonder that God paid with the life of his son so we can be forgiven. The reality is we're not a good tree if that's who we are. But instead, we're one of those revilers that were talked about in 1 Corinthians 6.10 who don't inherit the kingdom of God. Remember Paul says, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindles will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what is a reviler? Someone who is hateful, bitter, unforgiving, and holds a grudge. That's a reviler. If you can't forgive, then it's who you are. But Paul says, as such were some of you. You used to be that way. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You used to be a certain way, But something changed inside of me as a result, the fruit of your life begins to change. You see, unforgiveness doesn't make you being unsaved. You unforgiving, you not being able to forgive doesn't make you unsaved. Unforgiveness 
is the sign that you might not have actually put your trust in Christ to begin with. It's, and so the natural question in, that many of us, maybe all of us would ask is, well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me if I've not forgiven somebody, I'm not saved? Do you know how hard it is to forgive some people? Especially the way that they've done me. You mean to tell me if I struggle to forgive someone that I'm not saved? That's not what I'm saying. In fact, let me just be very clear. Struggling to forgive someone is not the same thing as defiantly refusing to forgive someone. These are two different issues. In fact, John Piper, again, he says, struggling to forgive is not what destroys us. He says, as we are in the flesh, we're going to do our good deeds imperfectly, including forgiving and loving others. Jesus died to cover our imperfections. We're going to struggle with this. Okay. He says, what destroys us is the settled position that we're not going to forgive and we have no intention to forgive. He goes to say, if, if we think that we can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and not make war on that unforgiving attitude, then we are deluding ourselves. You see, the issue isn't, have you forgiven everybody yet? The issue is, are you defiantly unwilling to forgive? The issue isn't, are you struggling to forgive are you wrestling to forgive? The issue is, you know, is that they've hurt me so bad, you know, that, that I'm not going to forgive, right? The issue is, I don't care what you say. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what Jesus says. I'm never going to forgive them under any circumstances. Will I ever forgive them? That's the issue. If we are so unmoved by the over, overwhelming flood of God's common and special grace that he gives in spite of our enormous debt, if we are so unmoved by that and that we are unwilling to even consider extending grace to someone whose debt is infinitely small in comparison to ours, if that is where our heart is, then we have not actually believed the gospel and we have not been saved and we, have, we still remain under the wrath of God. If we are so unmoved by the grace that God gives us, then we are not saved because God, because God's grace produces in us the fruit of grace. And the fruit of grace is to give it away. Now, I'm not going to stand here and even remotely pretend like this is easy because it's not. I'm not saying that this is not something that we're going to struggle with because you will. I'm not saying that you won't fight against this because it's hard because it is really hard and i'm not you know i'm not saying that if we receive forgiveness you know of our massive unpayable debt then there that, that we should automatically just be forgiving towards others okay i i know that it's hard i know that there are people that have hurt you in horrible fashions in horrible ways and now I don't know your situation. I don't know what you've been through. But I do know for a fact that, that there have been people in my life that have hurt me deeply and as well as family members of, of mine. People have done unthinkable, unspeakable things to me and my family at times. In fact, there was someone who hurt me not so long ago and that injury came at a huge personal cost to me in my life. Pain was so incredible that the, the old Sherman would have never even thought about forgiving, not for even a second. But the new Sherman, the born again Sherman, you know, the one that was saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, by the help 
And the grace of God, I've been able to completely forgive. Completely, 100% with my heart, forgive. And it's not because I'm a great person, because believe me, I'm not. It's just because of the work of God inside of me as a result of him saving me. God's grace has changed me. And I know that if you put your trust in Christ, it is changing you. And so I want to encourage you today, if you're struggling to forgive, I want to remind you of the promise that we talked about last week and the promise that we sang about. It's in the book of Hebrews. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. If you're struggling to forgive somebody, my friends, you are in a time of need. And so I encourage you, if you are struggling to forgive, go before the throne of grace. Get down on your knees. Pray to God, Lord, help me to forgive. I want to be whole. I, want to, I don't want to walk in animosity. Right? I don't want this bitterness in my life to control me anymore. I want to be transformed by your grace. Lord, help me to forgive. Give me mercy to forgive. Give me the grace to forgive. If you do that, if you go before God and earnestly seek him to help you forgive, I promise God will bear fruit of grace in your life and you will, over time, grow to forgive. God grows people like he grows trees, little bits at a time. It might take time. It might take a lot of time. But you will grow to walk in that forgiveness. That's what trusting God is about. Now, I know this is a very tough thing. And I know this is a tough message, and I know it's something that's hard to do, but I want you to know you are not alone. You are not remotely alone. You have the grace of God with you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have your church family who surrounds you, and you have me as your pastor 100% behind you. In fact, if you struggle to forgive and you're not sure what the next step needs to be for you in your life, I'm here for you. I am willing to help. All you need to do is either call me at the office, email me, the number and the email address are on the back of the bulletin, or you can simply just fill out one of those information request cards in front of you, give it to me at the end of the service, and I'll call you next week. I am here for you, the same as our church. We are here to help you with this. Forgiveness for the Christian, as we have come fully face-to-face with the truth is not optional. It is part of being saved. It's part of following God. But like all things that God commands us to do, understand it's what's the best for us. It's what's best for us as individuals. Forgiveness is what's best for us as a church. Forgiveness is what's best for us as a community. So let us all come together and agree to forgive as we have been forgiven so that we can live out this amazing grace. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you told us your word is the truth. You didn't tell us that your word is easy all the time. And that's where we come face to face with. I know for me, it's really easy for me to just, to not like someone and just begin to just hold them at arm's length and begin to build a grudge. I know it's easy for me to just want to have animosity towards people that have done me wrong or hurt me or insulted me or offended me. But I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to work in my heart and reveal to me where that unforgiveness lies and that you would help me to root it out because I want to be your child. I want to walk with you. I want to confirm the fruit of my salvation by walking that forgiveness. 
Not that I'm ever going to be perfect because I'm not going to ever be perfect in any respect until you call me home. And I pray that all of us would embrace this, Lord. And I know that some of us are struggling with this so, so, so desperately bad. And I, Lord, I pray for them, Lord. They want They want to be different, but it's hard because some people have really gone through some really ugly, horrible things, Father. I just pray right now you would descend upon them, Lord, and you would comfort them, strengthen them, and you would just come alongside them and help them to see that forgiveness is actually their way out, Lord. That bitterness actually is is something that that, that holds us down from from maturing in our faith with you. That, Father, you would just come alongside anyone who needs to hear your voice today and that you'd be with them and you'd draw them close into your presence, Father. And that forgiveness would reign in all of our hearts and forgiveness would reign in our church and in our community, Lord. And that, that we would be a people known, not for grudges, but for amazing, amazing grace. And we thank you for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. For listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. And please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.